if you see Adam coming, you cross over the other side of the street. If I see Adam coming, I don't want to be anywhere near him. <laughs> I've missed you. This podcast may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Better Call Saul, Season 6, Episode 10, Nippy. My name is Adam Hemming and I'm here as ever with Neil Shepek. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And Damien Cooper. You guys enjoying yourselves? Well, hold on to that feeling because this is it. <laughs> Good quotage, chaps. So we finally got our Gene Takovich whole episode. First thoughts? Yeah, I'm being slightly smug, but I did predict that we'd get at least one of these. I do feel we're going to get some more because a lot of the storylines from Betcourt Stoll have been completed. So I wonder whether we're now going to be in Gene land until the end of the series. I know I'm jumping right to the end of the episode, but when he pulled that, what looked like it would have been a colourful shirt and a colourful tie-out, I wonder whether, like, all the colour's been drained from his life as Gene and he wants to go back to Seoul. I wonder whether there'll be a tornado when Kim comes back into his life and they go to the land of Oz and it all goes full colour again. Yeah, a mixed bag for me again. I'm glad we got an episode with Gene. I love the new people we met, Carol Burnett, Jim O'Hare, is it? Who's also yeah. an absolute legend for those who have watched Parks and Rec. Another sipping Jimmy. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> I thought the heist slash con was good. It was aesthetically pleasing. I'm not sure, given there's only four episodes left, whether I feel it was a little bit... Uh, I don't know if the hour could have been used better. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I think I had that maybe as an initial reaction, but having reflected on it a bit more, it was fascinating to see Gene becoming more Saul again. I think this links back to what Neil was saying at the end of the episode. And I wonder, I mean, he puts that shirt and tie back. He considers it, doesn't he? But then he places it back on the rail and it's like he's played a bit with you know, Saul Goodman hasn't left him. There's still in there. The con is still alive within him. But it felt like at the end of the episode, he was turning away from that a bit. This episode showed the Jimmy, which I will continue to call him, even in his Gene persona, he's absolutely capable of a con. But in this instance, it was desperation to get Jeffy, the taxi driver, away from him and to cover his bases. It feels like he's still living in a land of no colour. Something to think about. We kind of pretty much ended last week's episode with us saying goodbye to Kim. An important part of their relationship was that first con by the pool and him explaining to her how to be on the inside of a con. And here we are in the next episode, he's doing the same thing, although for different motives, he's bringing someone else in on their first big con. And I wonder how much of that him picking up that shirt is also a bittersweet memory of his life with Kim and setting her up for obviously the first con and then the inevitable big con that led to the end of their relationship. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought this episode had so many nuances and yeah, initially I also felt mm, this is a bit of a filler episode, but there were so many things that no doubt will come to that I thought we really got an idea of where Jimmy as Gene is at in a headspace. You mentioned earlier about Carol Burnett. I mean, amazing actress, person. You know, I've got huge memories of her playing Miss Hannigan as a kid. I thought she was absolutely amazing in this episode. Yeah, I didn't really know Carol Burnett that well. I think she's much better known across the pond in the States, right? But I, when I, I did a bit of digging and, and research and, and yeah, an incredible career, you know, a trailblazer in so many different ways. She was brilliant in this. Absolutely brilliant. Should we dive into the episode then and see what pops up? So we start with Marion, Carol Burnett, who is shopping. She's proven to be fiercely independent, not wanting any help to get the can off the shelf. And she's pootling around in her mobility scooter. She meets Jean putting up missing posters for Nippy, his dog. I just want to quickly jump back to a small, small detail. 
when she went to get her pastrami, I believe, and she tried a little bit of the Wisconsin cheese, did you happen to see what the brand of Wisconsin cheese was? It was Schnauz Farms. And obviously Thomas Schnauz is an integral part of the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul world. Oh my God. I know I hadn't picked up on that. Remind me who Thomas Schnauz is. He has directed quite a few of the episodes of Better Call Saul and I believe Breaking Bad too. He's through a Breaking Bad too. (laughs) (laughs) Hi everyone. Fact checking Damo from the future here. Obviously, Thomas Schnauz has directed episodes of Better Call Saul, including the critically acclaimed episodes Pimento in Season 1 and, of course, Plan and Execution. But he is primarily known as a producer and TV writer with phenomenal credits, including, as I said, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, The X-Files, The Lone Gunman, Reaper and Night Stalker. I've got a feeling he directs the next one that's coming up. Oh, wow. Now you mention it. So, yeah. So we get the first reference to the title of the episode, Nippy, as in the name of his dog. And then we get another one when Gene nips the cable at the back of the mobility scooter, which was very confusing to me at the time. Marion's stuck in the snow. Gene offers to help push and eventually she agrees. And then as he's going to put the scooter into neutral, he, he nips the back of the cable with some snips. I mean, we find out that <laughs> Nicky isn't real and he makes up a nice, happy ending when he talks Marion at the end of the episode. But also, I looked it up. Nippy means nimble and speedy. And obviously, the whole heist, well, not heist, but the robbery, etc. There's been a lot of nippiness and nimbleness. But it also means chilly, which obviously fits in with Marion getting her scooter stuck in the snow. What's really interesting is that Marion says, and once she hits the the ice, she says, oh, it wasn't like this when I came before. So while she's been in the shop, Jean has obviously found some way to make that little patch icy, so she's definitely trapped. (laughs) That is amazing. I mean, Jimmy has always been great with elderly people. I mean, we've seen that throughout the whole thing. And so his charm, and we obviously find out then that he's after Jeff the cab driver um so maybe we should now grab a glass and sit down with marion but before that i wonder adam because i know this is the kind of thing you love what did you think about the amended title sequence yeah this was interesting wasn't it it went to a kind of a, a blue screen like it had been cut and then we'd saw the sort of i don't know what you'd call it how you'd describe it but yeah it was definitely divergence from what we're used to did you see the little frame before that before the blue screen it was a mug falling from a table onto a floor and on that mug it said world's greatest lawyer yeah the fall very, of man very good stuff We've alluded to this already, but it turns out that Marion is Jeff's mum. It did make me initially regret not watching all of the Gene Takovich bits that we'd had previously. We can see the Albuquerque air freshener in Jeff's cab, and we learn that Jeff hasn't turned him in, even though he knows that he is Saul Goodman. And then after this awkward moment, when Jeff walks into the kitchen to find Gene and Marion sharing a drink, he sells him the game. He'll show him how, and then they're done. But before that, when he sits down and Marion tells Gene that Jeff drives cabs, the first question he asks is, oh, have you ever driven anyone famous? And of course, in that Gene Takovich, I think season four, is it? Or maybe it's season five, open when he accosts him in the mall. He says, I know you, you're famous. You were everywhere in Albuquerque. So I thought that was quite a nice little veiled threat. You're absolutely right to mention the game, Adam, because that seems to be a huge theme within this episode and also a huge theme for Jimmy, Soul, Gene. You know, he talks about how Jeff wants the cars, the clothes, the girls. There's a sort of addiction there, but it's also an addiction for Jimmy. And we see that with him being tempted by the shirt and the tie at the end of the episode, which probably I'll mention many times over this podcast. But we see that there. And Jimmy says, I will show you the game, then we're done. In following the whole episode, I felt that was a really prominent line. 
Yeah, it's a big power play, isn't there, by Gene, turning the tables on, on Jeff, certainly by the end of the episode, when he lays out what crimes that Jeff's actually committed. You know, he now has leverage that he didn't have before this episode. But they also mention the game throughout Breaking Bad, throughout Better Call Saul. You know, that, that, that's a regular term. And it's not just the kind of con stuff that Jimmy does. It's also the cartel, Walter, Jesse. You know, the game is constantly mentioned. Yeah, it's, it actually is more usually referencing the, the drug trade, you know, being in the game. We see Gene at home. A couple of key things happen here. He's listening to the police scanner, which feels like very much a sore thing to do. I don't know if you have any thoughts on what he's listening for, but he also finds his Saul Goodman ring in the shoebox. You say Saul Goodman ring, that's Marco's ring. So do either of you remember Marco from season one? So Marco was his mate who he did scams with. And I looked back at the episode called Marco, which is episode 10 of series one. And right at the beginning, there's a scene where he meets Marco and he's saying he's going to Albuquerque and his brother is helping him out. His brother's saving his life. And Marco's saying, no, no, you, you know, you're, you're a con guy. You know, you shouldn't give up this life. Jimmy is absolutely certain that he's going to make the most of his brother looking after him. And obviously later on in this episode, there is a mention of his brother who's dead, which we'll get to, no doubt. That that ring has huge significance. Yeah, but I think it's also then he wears it as Saul. He's given that ring as Jimmy, and by the time he's officially Saul, he is wearing that ring, right? Because yeah. Marco gives it to him as he's dying and says, this has been the best week of my life because they've run an old con after however long Jimmy's been out of town. But no, I'd forgotten that it was Marco's. That was a good catch, Neil. Like I say, for for what initially felt like a a fill-in episode ended up being so nuanced and the writing and what they've set up or at least what they've gone back to is just amazing. Did you notice what else was in the box? No, go on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give me postcards and matchboxes. I didn't see it. I saw pictures and I saw a passport and I saw the ring, but I I don't think I necessarily saw everything. So if you guys say you saw other stuff, then that also then, you know, links into what we were saying for that shot at the end of the last episode where we saw inside Saul's drawer, which is not a euphemism. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's holding on to his previous incarnations. I mean, that's very clear. I've got a euphemism coming. Quickly, can we talk about... Hold on to it. I'm not sure I want to see that, Adam. (laughs) The police scanner stuff. Why do we think Gene's listening to the police scanner? So make sure he hasn't been made. He's wanted by the FBI, right? So I think he's just listing out to make sure he doesn't hear someone say, we're sending a presence to whatever his address is, Uh, which is why I think when he then, having sorted himself out a cocktail... Maybe, is it a gimlet? I think he's made himself, I don't know. And he's kind of just gone, ah, no, fuck this, I'm in. So that's when he closes it off. I just wanted to bring it back a little bit. When Jimmy went for his box under, wherever it was hidden away, that reminded me a lot of Mike finding the, I guess, driver's license or the ID of Nacho's father. That thing of hidden secrets, there was a really nice callback to that. Yeah, definitely. So at Cinnabon, Gene is taking the rubbish out. He drops a bag on the way and then comes back with it and then goes off to the security office to present his buns. (laughs) Is that what you were talking about, euphemism? Just before he goes in, he adjusts the ring, checking out the camera. One of the security guards, there's a a get a lawyer line. I don't quite remember how this all unfolded before, but he's had an altercation with one of the security guards in one of the previous scenes. Yeah, it was because the security guards caught a kid in the mall and Jimmy shouted out to the kid, get a lawyer. He was kind of on the side of of the bad guy, for want of a better phrase. And clearly the security guard, whose name I can't remember, I want to say Mike, but it probably isn't Mike, maybe Nick. I think it might be Nick. But he remembered that Jimmy or Gene had sided on the side of the criminal. Obviously fits back to his whole story. Yeah, good. Thank you for the reminder. The other security guard in there is Frank. 
and Gene times Frank on how long it takes him to polish off his bun. I mean, he, he he's so much in a routine with his knife and fork. That was really cleverly done, and it was a really kind of slow, slow tale with that being set up. But we definitely got some results from that. Yeah, what I really enjoyed about that was, first of all, the line of, do I detect Cinnabons from off screen, which I thought was was really good. But no, I like when he said uh, about Scout's honour and Jimmy didn't do the classic three-finger Scout sign, he, he just crossed his fingers, which I thought summed Jimmy up quite nicely. I also loved how he learned the game to come back to the game. He learned this game that Frank follows and also how initially he just fumbled his way through. Oh, what's up with him? Oh, damn straight. Oh, nice. Thumbs a breaker. Like he came came up with so many things to try and keep the conversation going. And then eventually he did his homework. Yeah, so we get one of these brilliant montages where there was a sequence of him leaving the store and putting the rubbish out and taking the buns to the security guards timing them and all of that stuff this is repeated again and again as you say he's making notes on football games so he's got conversational things to drop in just a brilliant split scene to show this happening again and again and again and we also catch that sg was here graffiti on the wall yeah it was that was a really nice touch because i did think about obviously that scene where he gets locked uh, in the bins and uh, he sees that sign he thinks this is the only way out of here and it says, warning, the exit is alarmed. And he thinks, well, I can't have, I can't be connected to the police again. So it's nice to see him as he gets his mojo back, making those things, not being so phased by stuff. I quite enjoyed, was it the second or third time when uh, they called him Gene Gene, the Cinnabon machine? And as you say, Neil, the uh, the way he learned how to talk about, I'm, I'm assuming it was American football, but I could be wrong. But just... That first scene was kind of classic bluffing of sports chat. And, and I'm sure so I've sick. done that many times. Um, I also loved how in these montages we got to see the the guy polishing the floors. I mean, obviously that that comes into play later on, but that was a great setup as well. So even, even that how that helped tell this story the first time we see him see the floor polisher it's a kind of very controlled small nod of the head and as he gets more and more into the groove it becomes a far more exuberant greeting that he gives him it's a bigger nod we're kind of just off the kind of classic Saul Goodman finger guns so we next get Gene pacing out steps in the clothes shop checking out the prices of certain items he's pretending to browse and then he's marked up the shop in a field and is running Jeff through his paces, basically training him to steal loads of expensive clothes. He's only got to get three of each item. He's only got time to get three of each thing. And it's partly so that the items won't be missed until they do an inventory uh, in that store. Well, also, that was the point where he said, are you in or out? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. We only find out later on that for Gene or Jimmy, this is about him covering his ass. But yeah, it, it just shows the stakes at play in this con. Oh yeah, and, and and the work that Jimmy goes to to make sure everything's covered. I mean, I go as far as to describe the level of detail as crazy. Actually, I'll tell you what's crazy. 50-year-old high school chemistry teacher comes into my office. <laughs> the guy's so broke, he can't even pay his own mortgage. One year later, he's got a pile of cash as big as a Volkswagen. That's crazy. How amazing was that line? I mean, and that was seriously so cool. We're being teased with when Walter and Jesse are going to be on screen. <laughs> and that was just awesome. Yeah, great to have that reminder of, of Walter White and wetting our taste buds for, for more Cranston on the screen. So we're next into the day of the heist. Store manager Kathy points out that part of the floor needs polishing. There's a mark on the floor. And then there's a delivery, but it's come too late. The store's closing. But Jean works his magic over the phone to get her to agree to have the package left in her loading dock. As to her. Yeah, apples and oranges, my friend. I really love the line, Patagonia's to survive, because quite clearly that is what Jimmy is 
desperate to do. I mean, I also quite enjoyed the line, 900 pounds of Spanish mackerel. <laughs> yeah, he had to really work for that, didn't he? Kathy wasn't a pushover. He had to really work to make that happen. But it was, yeah, it was pure Goodman banter. And the security cams. I mean, just think about the logistics. We all work in the industry. I mean, the logistics of having all those different security cams on in the background behind Frank and obviously Jimmy's checking them constantly. For a director, oh, I can't remember the director's name. It's female, but amazing job. Absolutely amazing job. Uh, Michelle McLaren. That's the one, yeah. She's amazing, and I know she's done Breaking Bad episodes as well. Yeah, she's done a fantastic job with this episode. I mean, we've talked about the Insider podcast before, and they do go into really great detail. It's a really, really fascinating episode, the one that they've just released, talking about the editing and setting up of that department store within that mall. But yeah, the lengths that they had to go to to create this episode were phenomenal. And I think, again, like... Talk about the directing, but the editing on Better Call Saul is is just top level, I think. Absolutely. So, listeners, I have a dog staying with me at the moment. So if you hear a little pitter-patter, it's not Margot to be blamed. It is on my side of the call. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad as well. You know, everything is the top level. Everyone is at the peak of their game at every department within the show. What I really liked at the end of that conversation with Kathy, once everything was agreed, we saw we saw Gene look in the mirror and do the classic Showtime mime that he did previously as Saul. Oh no, Jimmy, I think actually, was when we yeah, saw Jimmy. that Showtime. The con is all going well, it's all going down. Jeffy's getting through that mall at speed and remembering the mnemonic rhyme that Gene has taught him. And then he slips predictably on the polished floor and knocks himself out. Wow. And the improvisation that Jimmy does is just stunning and for me makes the episode because he talks about Jimmy's life, that he's got no parents, he's got no wife, he's got no, and there's a big pause, but he's got no brother. And it was like he was improvising, but using... I guess, something that's true to him, which I guess as performers ourselves, if we ever improvise, we will use our own kind of life. But I just felt that that, that monologue was stunning. And it reminded us of where Jimmy is as Gene. That's what put this episode into place and why it wasn't just a filler. To second what you're saying there, the deafness of that performance, because initially he it's quite comic, isn't it? He's like, oh, look at me. Definitely look at me. Don't look around. Look at me. Look at me. Uh, which is all very funny. And then, yeah, that when he when he's like, shit, I have to go deep. I need something to keep this going. And then for him to say, as you said, uh, my parents are dead. My brother, my brother is dead. I have no wife. I have nothing. And then the security guys like, oh, well, everyone has bad days. It's okay. Not me, but I mean, other people do. He also mentions he's got no kids. He's got no friends. He says that he's less than a ghost. He's a shadow. I mean, it was heartbreaking in many ways. And once he left the office and he went around the corner, he broke down. You could see how much this had cost him. Yeah, the kind of context of it all was, why does he matter? Gene Takovic, who, who, is, who is he meaningful to? What is he living for now? And because so much of that improvisation came from this truthful point, it, it, yeah, it really made sense of that whole episode and that actually doing this con and this heist gave him that purpose again. And, and you're right, it definitely took something out of him going through all of that and, and speaking that out loud to somebody else because it's obviously what he's been feeling. Yeah, I think was also interesting uh, to talk about that and his kind of his his actual existence. Maybe is that the two times we see him actually walk down that corridor from the security area is he stood in a dead zone. He can't be seen on CCTV. And the first time we see him, he's a little bit like, "Oh, okay, I think I can do this. Yeah, I can do this." But like you said, that second time we see him there, he's shaken. That's when, as you rightly said, we see how much it's cost him. But then he kind of pulls himself together and, and walks on. 
So let's move on. Jeffy wakes up in time. He, he makes it out. There's a lovely scene of him coming out the next day because he's hidden in the toilets, hasn't he? Yeah, the great scene of, of Jeff coming out and, and trying to work out whether he's got away with it or not. But yeah, and then we get Marion turning up when they're back. Jean's told him it's all over, makes them say it's over. Uh, and then Marion comes back and tells him he's been a good influence on Jeff, who had some troubled times in Albuquerque. Once she mentions that he fell in with a bad crowd in Albuquerque, he says straight away, oh, I've never been. <laughs> you mentioned, obviously, she then says you're a good influence. And then they start talking about Nippy. And then that's when he says, after all that, a happy ending, which made me think, oh, will it be a happy ending for Jean or not? I'm still looking forward to him and Kim going to the multicolour world of Oz. We have missed when Jimmy says to Jeff and to Ricky, say it, we're done. Like, I, I've done this now, I've done this for you, but now you're implicated in the same way that I am, so you cannot take me to the police, I guess. And it reminded me of Mike's, tell me that you understand. It was that very firm, say it, we are done. I want to put a closure on this. And <laughs> I nearly had this as my opening <laughs> for this episode of podcast. I am not your friend. You see me coming, you cross to the other side of the street. Yeah, it's such a big, as I said earlier, big power play, and he's definitely the one who's now got the upper hand, I think, in that relationship. It's certainly intimated in the Insider podcast that we're going to see Jeff again, and I wonder, given the reference to his time in Albuquerque, whether that will be in colour or in black and white. Well, also they said on that episode of the Insider that all the directors, I'm guessing for the second half, or maybe this was just for the beginning of season bits uh, in previous seasons, had a masterclass from Pete and Vince as to how to film in black and white. So I think that that means we are going to be in black and white for a while longer. Because at the moment, is there much need to go back to this time of Saul? Probably not. I don't think we will see it next week, but maybe the week after. I agree with you, Demo. I think we are definitely going to see Gus and Mike again before the end of Better Call Saul. I don't know in what context or, or why. I don't think we will lose them completely. And I definitely think that, well, obviously we know we've got the Walter White and Jesse Pinkman scenes. I think they've, they've confirmed it's, it's, it's three different scenes that they appear in. So we know that that is coming. It'll be interesting. I'm really curious to see how much Gene we get and how much Saul and whether we get any Jimmy even over the final three episodes. Only three more to go. So it's going to be the end of an era. What if we come to that final scene where they meet and almost Disneyfication or, or, or as you said, a Wizard of Oz, where he turns to her and says, Kim... And she turns to him and says, Jimmy? And he says, yes, Jimmy. Ah, <laughs> oh, if you predicted that script, I love you to pieces. I mean, yes, romantic in me. Any final thoughts or predictions then for these final three episodes? Before we do that, I just want to talk about Saul goes into the store again. And we see Catherine walking around and it's clear that they haven't noticed what's happening. And this is probably what, it's either the day after or two days after the con. It seems fairly clear that they've got away with it. And as you said, Neil, he starts looking, having previously looked at Armani suit and thought, geez, that's expensive. Whereas maybe in the time of Saul, he wouldn't even have blinked at spending that much on a suit. And we, as you said, we see him pick up the shirt, the gaudy shirt, the gaudy tie. Even though it's in black and white, we know it's gaudy. And it's all done up. And he leaves it on that rack. And I was thinking, you know, how many times have we seen racks full of shirts in this season? We've seen Howard in his racks of shirts. We've seen Gus in his racks of shirts. And obviously countless times we've seen uh, Saul's racks of brightly coloured shirts. Who had the best rack? I completely agree. As I said earlier, I hadn't realised until the end of this episode that the black and white was all about draining the colour from his life. And obviously we've had gaudy suits and gaudy ties and shirts, etc. 
in the past when he's been in Better Call Soul era. I am expecting a move to colour at some point within the Gene era. I think it's quite likely because even in that scene where he was looking at himself with the tie and the shirt, holding it up, as we've seen him do many times as Saul, there was a moment where he looked around to see if anyone could see him doing it. And then he saw they weren't and he allowed himself to enjoy that moment of working out what would I look like with this loud shirt and tie and him kind of being like, well, I could be Saul again, couldn't I? But who is he really? I mean, surely that's the big question for him as character. Got three different versions of himself. Who is he really? And who does he want to be out of those three? Who do you think? Well, as Gene, we've seen he has the skill to make a security guard last up to three minutes, 18 seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, I've done that before. It's not an easy job. He's had to leave Sorghum behind, and it was a decision to leave Jimmy McGill behind. I could certainly see, as Damien alluded to with his beautiful imagined dialogue, him deciding to return to being Jimmy again. Well, that would be nice, but I think as we've seen with everyone in this show who, who allows themselves to lead a con, that it's like moths to a flame. They can't ever fully leave it, even if it brings about their destruction. And we've seen Jimmy completely destruct and have to shed off that skin to become Saul. He's had to shed off another skin to become Jean. Kim has destroyed her life as it was because of the con. Jeff is now hooked, probably, without the actual ability to, to do it on his own. I don't know. Can he fully walk away from the con or not? Well, hopefully we'll find out. Or maybe we won't. Maybe there'll be an open end and maybe another spin-off. Well, if it's as good as this spin-off, that would make me unbelievably happy. But at the moment, I feel like I'm ready for the end of Jimmy's story. They did say, actually, didn't they, Adam, in the Better Call Saul Insider, that in many ways they filmed the perfect pilot for a Gene show. So I think, in, obviously, instead of Better Call Saul, I would posit that it should, the show should be called Gene Gene, the Cinnabon Machine. <laughs> but do you, either of you have any other ideas for what they could call that show? I think you've got the perfect title, Damo. Genius. <laughs> Would you say it was? And speaking of genius. We've just been joined by Grace Chapman. Hello, Grace. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hi, Grace. Hi. Hi, mate. Yeah, we're all good. We've just finished off talking about the latest episode of the brilliant Better Call Saul. And we're all thoroughly enjoying that. But... Yeah, how have you been? What have you been up to? I went to a festival this weekend and I'm now just deep in a work hole. But have you been geeking out hard? We have been geeking out hard. Okay, so let's cover then what, what else we've been watching. Grace, do you want to go first? So I've been watching two things this week. Um, the first is something called Love Life, which is series one is on Netflix. It's starring Anna Kendrick and it basically maps out this woman's life through her romantic relationships, whether it's one night stands or long-term partners. And it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I think if you enjoy that these two are also on Netflix, like there's one called Easy and there's one called Love. Uh, they're kind of romantic comedies, but not, yeah, they're kind of easygoing. And if you like those two, you're going to love this. It's really great. I mean, some of the men who can't go, ooh, they are awful so that's really fun to watch and I I've never been a big fan of Anna Kendrick before I've always sort of felt a bit meh about her but actually she's brilliant in this she's so good and it's just super relatable really funny in the right places some really lovely moments if you like any of that anthology series romantic dramas anything like that then it's really fun and it kind of lives in that mumblecore trend but the script is much better than that and series two is on iplayer so i'm definitely going to carry on through i love anna, anna kendrick i'm definitely going to watch that on your recommendation 
great that makes me happy yeah it's really good I'm really enjoying it and it's just kind of like light you know it's not too heavy it's heavy when it needs to be but yeah some great moments with some very cringe men which is always fun to watch have you caught any of everything I know about love Grace that was one I was going to recommend for you yeah, I did watch the start of it and I have heard on previous podcasts some of your your thoughts on it. I mean, I think it's really hard to write people in their 20s about them being incredibly annoying. And actually what this love life does is actually just about manages to do it, which was really nice to see because I found everything I know about love, the script just a bit uh, at first, but it, I think it gets better as a series. So I think if you loved everything I know about love, then this again is definitely something you should you should look up because I think it's a bit better. It does it better. Cool. What else have you been watching? Well, a f- totally a different thing. <laughs> I watched a documentary on Netflix called How to Change Your Mind. Have you anyone heard of this? I was going to, but I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. <laughs> Sorry, it's a terrible joke. It's all right, Damo. I've missed you. <laughs> It's, um, it's basically a, a short documentary series about psychedelic drugs and it's based on a book of the same name and it looks at some of the maybe slightly overlooked like health properties of psychedelic drugs if, caveat, done in a responsible way with a medical professional nearby. They look at things like LSD and ecstasy and how it can really help people with anxiety and depression and strangely addiction if it's done properly with like psychologists on hand and everything. And I just found it really interesting because obviously growing up, you just get told, do not, do not touch them. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not condoning any drug use, but what I am saying is that narrative sometimes takes away, just takes away from any of positive stuff about them that research can show and that if done properly in a controlled safe place they can be like transformative to people's lives there was a guy who had a cluster headache for years and years every day and he took lsd once and it basically went so all right grace i can give you a number for you to call and you could rely on you neil <laughs> so does it also talk about microdosing and and, and stuff like that because i think yeah it's really interesting i know some people who have suffered from various mental health issues and they find microdosing shrooms or ayahuasca has really helped them second-guessing themselves and falling into a pit of despair. So I will check that out. Everything in moderation, right? Well. (laughs) I condone that. Yeah, me too. But it did make me think, like, God, do I want to try LSD? (laughs) Everyone's shaking their heads at me. (laughs) Only insofar as I don't think I could either. There's some other drugs I wouldn't necessarily be so worried about taking, but anything that's hallucinogenic scares me. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's good about this documentary is I think growing up, you're really peddled a certain narrative very hard. And actually what's good about this is you can watch it and then sort of make up your own mind about them. It's very specifically about psychedelics, which I think is important. But yeah, so those are two things that I, I enjoyed this week. So I'm on episode four of Miss Marvel, which I imagine only Adam may have been watching as a Marvel fan. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the series. How far have you got, Adam? Uh, I have uh, finished it. Yeah, it's really, really good. Highly recommend Miss Marvel. Lots of interesting news came out of Comic-Con San Diego. The biggest one I'll give you is that there's going to be a Daredevil series a disney daredevil series there was a netflix one but charlie cox is coming back as daredevil and it's going to be an 18 episode series wow so we're going to get a whole load of cox on our screen well i I can't complain (laughs) about that um i'm I'm really looking forward to it i I just wanted to check in with uh, with this show so is is it so was an old woman that goes around solving murders during afternoon teas is that what miss marple is no, it's Miss Marvel. Uh, she's an American Pakistani teenager who discovers uh, that she has powers through a mystical bangle that she's inherited from her grandmother. I mean, so I've I, made that mistake before. D- Dama, I'd watch the one you just pitched. <laughs> but you're enjoying it, Neil, Miss Marvel? Yeah, no, I am. Um, and I guess I'm a bit of a fan of teenage TV series. You know, I've loved Sex Education and others. 
I was initially a bit, oh, is this a bit too teenage for me? But after a couple of episodes, I was just hooked. Um, I loved it. And of course, Matt Lintz, who was Henry in The Walking Dead, because uh, I think he's really, really good in this, actually. Really good. Yeah, no, it's absolutely great and see these crossovers with actors. I can't wait to finish this series. Talking about shows with great scripts and loving them, I watched something that was a complete opposite of that. I watched, I lasted slightly longer than The Security Guard in Better Call Saul. I watched Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber, with uh, old um, Gordon Levitt in it. And it was just atrocious. I don't know how these scripts get through because it's just people who just no one ever talks like that. It was like a job in classic opening scene. Why should you work for Uber? And then it just becomes this weird, horrible conversation that I don't think any words that people have never said in that combination ever. Even with the infinite monkey typewriter thing, you never get that. Oh, the dogs that are with me agree. Uh, vociferously, it seems. Well... I'm not sure how much I can trust your recommendation, Demo, because I have just finished watching Severance. And this was a show that when it first came out, you put me off. But subsequently, quite a few people have recommended it to me and it's been nominated for an Emmy. But OMFG, that final episode was unbelievable it made me vocally react at the end just incredible the kind of eight episodes leading up set you up for one of the single best episodes of tv ever in the history of the world ever you know in the way that a peaky blinders season builds up to that final episode and kind of everything then happens in that well this was that times 10 i think uh, maybe that's a slight exaggeration. I don't know. Maybe I'm going slightly overboard. But Succession, Better Call Saul, Stranger Things, all shows that I really, really love. I think Severance is up there. All been nominated for Emmys this year. It's really, really good. And I just want to say a huge thank you to people like Hannah Landsberger, Helen Ball, Izzy Dixon. I'm sure there were others who recommended Severance to me. I'm literally put, physically putting my hand up right now to say... Okay, I may have got it wrong. I'm sorry. I, I will try again with Severance and see if I can enjoy it. But I am only human, after all, as Rag and Bone Man once said. Well, remember, we're not friends. If you see Adam coming, you cross over the other side of the street. <laughs> if I see Adam coming, I don't want to be anywhere near him. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, those first two episodes are slow but it does it just gets better and better as the season goes on and the final three episodes i i think are incredible but the final episode yeah it's amazing there is going to be a second season we might have to wait until 2024 for that to come out but it will definitely be worth a wait you know what i've totally given up on ozark so i'm jumping shit i'm coming over severance ways do it you will not regret it davo's face the only reason why there is, I will admit, there is a period in the Ozarks where I was like, this is dull. I don't enjoy this. But I powered through and it got really good again. I'm just saying, you don't have to do it now, mate. There is a lull, definitely. But talking about recommendations, I also watched another show upon Adam's recommendation, and that is Blackbird. Uh, I've watched the all the episodes are out now, which I think is... The first four episodes with old Edgerton, Taron, is very good. He is, he's just so swole. It's ridiculous. I don't even know how he walks. He's just muscle. But really good performances, I think. And what's the name of, Adam, what's the name of the guy who's playing the suspected serial killer? Is it Paul Walterhauser or Michael Walterhauser? Whichever Walterhauser he is, he is phenomenal. That performance is just chilling uh, and so captivating. And I also finished The Offer. I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast. One of the new Paramount series is The Offer, which shows the how basically The Godfather Part 1 got made and all the stories that go around these kind of parts of hit Hollywood legend about how that great film came about. 
and I highly recommend that. I know, Adam, you said you'd heard and read not particularly good things, but I think it's a really good cast and some really lovely performances in that. I am hoping to check the offer out, so really great to get that recommendation from you, Taylor. Also, you're going to check out The Godfather, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not go there. Um, I've got a couple of others that I wanted to talk about. One, one is the other Emmy-nominated drama that I hadn't watched before, which was Euphoria. So I'd seen one episode of this and not really got on that well with it, but really enjoying this now. I think I'm seven episodes into the first season. But that episode four that's uh, set at the carnival, I know that maybe a couple of you have seen this already, but it's just incredible. Like there's five different story threads that are all playing out in this really colourful, chaotic way. And you just feel like you are at the carnival itself. I think I'm going to revisit Euphoria in the winter. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's face snugly. <laughs> no, because I found when I, when I watched it before, I found, to be honest, I found maybe I wasn't in the right place for a lot of the like very dark themes around it. I just wanted a bit of lightness and happiness. So I'm going to lean into the winter and I'm going to revisit Euphoria. Yeah, it's another teenage focused story I've really enjoyed it I can't actually remember what episode I've got up to but I'm definitely gonna now that school's over and I've got some holidays I'm definitely gonna watch it it's similarly in a way to Miss Marvel it's got a quirkiness and an unexpectedness to it that I think is really enjoyable I'm really glad I picked this one up again Zendaya and co uh are, are, I think are doing a really really good nettle so, yeah, Zendaya is amazing. She's amazing in anything she does. And the other one that I've watched, I've now finished, is The Baby. This is the dark comedy on Sky slash Now. It's dark, it's funny, it's dark, it's intriguing. Did I mention how dark it was? But it's also really sweet in places. And I don't quite really understand how it manages to do all of those things. But yeah, Michelle Deswatt is authentically awesome as Natasha. Someone who's quite happy not having kids who then has a baby literally fall into her arms. But yeah, I think the baby is unexpected gold. And if you're looking for something that is quite, it's a comedy, it's, it, but it's a, it's a dark comedy in places. So yeah, just be prepared for the darkness, but go, go for the lols. I love how many recommendations I'm getting and I now actually have time to watch some of them. I've recently finished Shit's Creek and I am devastated that there's no more episodes it's such an amazing series with so many amazing performers. Yeah, I'm watching a few comedies at the moment. So I'm watching Hacks and I'm watching What We Do in the Shadows. And I think what Shit's Creek does really well is have, it, well, certainly for my taste, it has a narrative that drives those characters forward. There is a plot development to it. And I think that's what I'm really missing in something like What We Do in the Shadows, which feels sometimes like it's the same gag over and over again. Although I've jumped ahead to season three of that and it's great to see Kristen Schaal, who was Mel in Flight of the Concords, in with those guys. She is brilliant. Talking about super fans, just to go back to what you were saying about Shit's Creek. I'm currently working in a production, I don't think it's been mentioned on the podcast yet, with Adam. And the lead is called David. And there's a couple of times when I call him David in the play, I feel like I sound like Alexa. <laughs> Alexis, not uh, Alexa. Have you, your, have you got your hands up like Alexa? David, yeah. It's such a good show, Shit's Creek. I haven't finished it yet. I aim to. Yeah, it just gets better and better and better as it goes along. Like you were saying, Adam, like the trunk, how that family change is one of the most joyful parts of it. And having, like you say, that through line, that plot, that driving forward of that transformation is just, just the best. I can't believe it's come to an end. Honestly, I'm devastated. I, I remember that feeling, Neil. You've seen Ted Lasso, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we just mentioned Flight of the Concords, which is another show that I felt finished far too soon. But yeah, you just don't want these brilliant comedies to ever finish, do you? I think I, mean, I think Shit's Creek ended in, in such a perfect way for that show. And Catherine watches it annually. So she, I think it's definitely got repeat watchability. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of shows coming soon or already out that I wanted to talk about quickly. The first one is From... 
This is an American science fiction horror television series created by John Griffin. The premise is in a nightmarish town in middle America that traps everyone who enters, unwilling residents strive to stay alive and search for a way out. But they are plagued by the terrifying nocturnal creatures from the surrounding forest. And this has me excited for two reasons. One, it sounds a little bit like Lost. And two, it stars Harold Perrineau, who was in Lost. And also the brilliant Oz. So From is, is on the uh, Sky Science Fiction Channel, which is available through Sky and Now TV. And I think that's out now. I think it's 10 episodes, but I'm going to try and give From a watch. And then the other one that I wanted to mention is The Newsreader, which is out now on the BBC. This is an Australian drama. In 1986, ambitious reporter Dale dreams of landing the most prized role on commercial TV, newsreader. But Helen, the network's first female newsreader, struggles against her reputation as being difficult. This is on BBC Now, on the iPlayer, newsreader, reportedly similar to the newsroom, if you ever watched that. Okay, it sounds a bit like Anchorman as well. Maybe it's a mix between the two, yeah. Yeah. That's all I had for what's coming soon. Anything you're looking forward to coming up? I mean, I'm just thrilled. The next season of Succession has gone into filming. Praise be. Before then, we're going to get the final episodes of The Walking Dead. We've now got a release date for those. So 2nd of October, we will be starting our Walking Dead episode reviews. I can't believe that it's still on, Adam. When we used to work together, what, like six years ago? I swear it was always the last series. I just wish our listeners could have seen the journey Grace went on. She was so ebullient. She was excited. She was just on top of the world at the talk of, of season four of Succession. And the moment Adam had made the sound wall from The Walking Dead, she shut down. <laughs> Eyes rolled back. She, she just, she hunched over. She, she became less of a person just from the mentioning of arguably one of AMC's jewels in the crown of uh, zombie horror, The Walking Dead. But you have got two months if you want to catch up on the however many seasons there have been of of The Walking Dead, Grace, then you could join us on those podcast episodes. (laughs) I'll think about it. (laughs) So what can people do if they want to tell us what they're excited about watching or indeed what they have been watching? Right, okay, well, you can find us at TV DNA Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us TV Space DNA in the Facebook search bar or just Google us for goodness sake. It's 2022 TV Space DNA Space Podcast. There we go. Thank you very much, all. It's been a pleasure as ever. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about Better Call Saul and hopefully we'll see you again soon, Grace. Absolutely, yeah. Cheerio, bye, Neil. Cheerio, bye. I'm hoping for a happy ending like with Nippy. And uh, Damo, I'll see you in about just over three hours for the second performance of David's play. Tickets available at www.space.org.uk. Some audience members described it as very funny. Wait, is that the show that is, well, it's already sold out one night and is already limited tickets others? Yes, but you can catch it online. You can get the, uh, the live stream. will be available on demand for a couple of weeks after that as well. So even if you were listening to this, in mid-August of the year 2022, you probably still could get online access to it. Oh, that sounds rather reasonable. <laughs> well, indeed. Well, bye-bye for now, everyone. Bye. Bye. Why did you put yourself on mute straight away, Grace? Actually, because I wanted to eat a crisp. <laughs> I thought you were like, oh, all right, it's me then. That was your way of it. I'm, oh, I'm not doing the socials. <laughs> Off you go, Dame. I'm eating my crisps. <laughs>